just before Mike speaks to us, I'm going to read uh, the passage that he's going to be speaking on. And this is, you can find this in Luke chapter 24. It's the story of the road to Emmaus. I'll start reading in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem and there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Over to you. Great, great. And um, obviously... Uh, the important thing about that encounter is Jesus had just risen from the dead and they didn't recognise him. We're on a series on, uh, our, <coughs> sorry, on our values um, as a church. And one of the reasons we're doing this is because um, we, we believe that, we think, we believe that God is saying to us um, that we are uh, to um, church plant uh, systematically and um, aggressively isn't the right word because that sounds negative, but, but clearly, uh, and form a family of churches that's built relationally, not on authority lines, but a friendship, on friendship basis of, the, of churches that have the same values, the same DNA, and that will plant. We had um, plant other churches. Uh, we had a significant uh, pastors and trustees meeting on Tuesday night where unanimously we felt the Lord was saying that. Do we feel up to it? Absolutely not. Do we feel um, we're capable? No, we don't. We have to rely on the Lord. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to go on an adventure. 
uh, because we think that God is speaking to us. And uh, as, as part of this, we want to be really clear about what our values are. The last few weeks, we've talked about the value of intimacy and worship, what that means. Last week, Andy spoke on the value of committed community. And today, I just want to touch on, look at our value of relevant evangelism. Now, I just want you to put that reading on the back burner for a few minutes. I am going to come back to it. Uh, but when we started Soul Survivor Watford, there was 11 of us, and we said we wanted to have one of our values, relevant evangelism. And what we meant 29 years ago was not standing on a soapbox in the middle of the street and shouting at people as they went by, turn or burn. Now, that battle is largely over. You know, we, we, we wanted to say, hey, we don't want to throw Bible bombs at people from a safe distance and hoping that one explodes in the vicinity. Uh, we want to go where people are because, and we want to love them and we want to get involved in their lives as Jesus did. Now, in one sense, a lot of that stuff has changed wonderfully over the last uh, 29 years. Now, one of the things that we mean by it is, is actually just be normal. As Christians, we need to learn to be normal. What does that mean? That means in our services, we want to be open to the Spirit. We want uh, God's Spirit to move among us, uh, but we don't want ourselves to be weird. God can be as, we as weird as he likes because he's God, but we want to major on explaining, always explaining what's going on always including people and not excluding people. And much of the church has gone in one of two diametrically opposed directions when it comes to our Sunday services. Uh, some of the church has gone to seeker sensitive where it's all seemingly about the outsider and everything's done excellently and everything's done um, uh, to the minute, to the second almost. And and everything's got to be really, really perfect. It mustn't go too long. And it's all planned out in advance. And th the advantage of that is, of course, it's better to do things well than badly. So often we've done church badly, and it's better to do things, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing things well. It's good. It, it holds people. It helps people and all of that. And the other extreme has been, uh, and that's been a reaction to the other extreme, which has been, uh, churches that, and the meetings have gone on and on and on and, and, and people have sung worship songs for uh, the same song for an hour and a half and, and people have prayed for each other, they've fallen down, they've got up again, they've fallen down again and, and everyone's been prophesied to and no one's attempted to think of the outsider and in order to, to stay there, to come to know Jesus, you, you, ha you, have, you have to be really committed and I believe that neither of those is where we should be, where we could be. And that's why we coined the phrase, well, it was someone else coined the phrase, but we nicked it, naturally supernatural. We believe with all our hearts that it is possible to at the same time be open to the Spirit and have the Spirit leading our services and changing our plans and including those on the outside, including those on the fringe, including those who are new, and not dividing a congregation between those who are being ministered to 
and those who are almost looking through a frosted window observing those who are being ministered to. And do you know, that's exactly what Paul was getting at when he wrote to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, when he was explaining about the gifts of the Spirit, you, you don't, can't understand Paul unless you understand that first and foremost, he was an evangelist. And he didn't say, don't use the gifts of the Spirit. He didn't say that. He said, I thank my God, I pray in tongues more than any of you. Um, uh, uh, let two or three prophets speak and the others interpret and so on and so on. But what he kept saying was, do it decently and in order. If you do this, if you just all babble in tongues all the time, an outsider comes in, they won't get it. They'll feel excluded. He was thinking of the outsider while the ministry of the Spirit was going on. So what, we're, what we try to do, what we try to model is an openness to the leading of the Lord, but at the same time, including others. That's what happens when we're in our services. And we want to pursue excellence. But the most excellent thing we want to pursue as a church is we want to be excellent at being family. And being excellent at being family means sometimes, if you've noticed any normal family, uh, things can get a little bit interesting. You know, the, the kids start screaming or, 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 or whatever. And we want to put relationships first. We don't want to be uh, a, a glossy image. We want to be real. And so whilst we want to do things well, our highest priority when we come together in that context is to do family well. That's why we spend so much time eating together. That's why we spend so much time uh, uh, having, having gatherings, lots of gatherings, and, and gatherings where we can invite our friends in, where we can invite our neighbours and say, come and join our family. It's not family for its own sake, it's family for the sake of others. The best families I know are the families where you enter their house, you're included in the family straight away. And that's what we want to do, and that's what we want to be. And we have a little saying, uh, and we, we call it belong, believe, behave. And so often in the church in the past, and in, in sometimes in churches, uh, you first of all, you, you, you have to behave to stay. You have to know to do what we do. You have to stand up when we stand up, sit down when we sit down, and, and all of that stuff. And, and if you behave long enough, you'll stay to hear the gospel, and then you'll believe. And when you believe, then we'll welcome you into the family of God, and then you'll belong. I want to suggest Jesus did it exactly the other way round. For Jesus, he called the disciples to himself and they first of all belonged. Come follow me. Come be with me. They belonged before they believed and certainly before they behaved. And there's a, li uh, there's a little verse after Jesus rose from the dead that, that says, even then the disciples did not understand that Jesus had to die and rise from the dead. Even then, they didn't get it. Thomas was still doubting at the resurrection. You know, I'm not going to believe he's alive until I see the marks in his hand and I can put my hand, my fingers in the, in, in the spear marks in his side. And you know what? Jesus was patient with them. And, and, and the behaviour, oh my goodness, 
even, even as Jesus was, was arrested, one of them betrayed him, ten ran away, and dear Pete said, stayed long enough to deny him three times before he disappeared as well. And what does Jesus do? He stays with them. He loves them. He walks with them. And so we want to say to people, you, you belong, you belong here. And, and you're on a journey. You're on a journey to, to, to Jesus. And that's one of the reasons and that we don't have a, a formal membership in our church. And we never had that. Now, there's negatives about that. But the positive is, the reason we decided we wouldn't have a formal membership is the moment you define who's in, you also define who's out. And we don't want to define who's out because we want to have that attitude, if you're on your way in, you're in. We welcome you into the family as you are. And we love you as you are and we'll walk the journey with you. And that brings me to our reading. I love this. And there's some things I haven't seen until recently. One thing that my friend Jay John uh, actually pointed out to me yesterday. Um, the two disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And it's not fanciful to say that they were walking in the wrong direction. You know, they were walking away from Jerusalem because they believed that Jesus had died and that was the end and they were going home. They were walking in the wrong direction. They should have been walking to Jerusalem. And yet, Jesus walked with them. He appeared and he walked with them even though they were walking in the wrong direction. Oh, how we need to learn to walk with people wherever they're going, to, to be companions on the journey and not to worry and not to try immediately uh, to turn them around. And then Jesus says, to, he asks them, he says, why are you downcast? What's the matter? How are you doing? He starts by asking them how they are. And then boy, do they tell him. They spend a lot of the journey telling Jesus that he's dead. And he listens. He listens to their stuff. He listens to where they are. He takes time to listen. We need to learn to listen to the world around us. We really need to learn to listen. We need to listen to their heartbeat. Because listening is a major part of loving. And, and then he starts going through the scriptures with them and showing them how the Messiah had to die and rise from the dead. He, he, he spoke from the book. We're the people of the book. And he told them. But they didn't immediately get it, even though he spoke from the book. And then they get to Emmaus, they invite him in, and he has a meal with them. And it's while he's having a meal, while he's eating with them, it says their eyes were opened and they recognised him in the context of just a meal, of just being friends, of just having friendship. And that's the model we want to have. And that's what we want to do with, with others. And do you know what I love is when they recognised him and then he disappeared from their sight. He said, well, now you know who I am, I'm off. And, and do you know, they, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us while he was um, quoting the scripture at us? You know what? We, 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 
we faithfully tell the Bible story. People may not respond at that time, but we don't know what's going on inside. We don't know how many hearts are burning within people. We, we are faithful. And the way we want to do evangelism is every way. Proclamation evangelism. Telling the story, the wonderful story of Jesus. Friendship evangelism. Getting beside people and being faithful to them and loving them, whether they come to Jesus or not. Servant evangelism. Looking at how, how can we serve people? How can we serve our neighbours? How can we be a blessing to them? And in that context, power evangelism. Uh, how can we pray for people? How can we invite the Holy Spirit to move in their lives? How can we speak, uh, speak healing, speak freedom to them? It all comes together. It's not one kind of evangelism opposed to another. It's holistic. It's about all of it. And we need, we need to, to not ask, how can I convert this person? But we need to start asking, how can I be a blessing to this person? How can I bless them? Because when we start blessing people, they're more likely to meet Jesus. They really, really are. And our lives need to raise the questions. You see, so often, um, I've told this story more than once, but, and it's an apocryphal story. Um, uh, there was um, uh, a, a student, uh, a, a Christian student in a university, went to the, the toilet. And uh, it, certainly in those days, probably still, on the toilets was all sorts of graffiti about all sorts of things. And um, uh, he, he, the, the Christian student wrote, uh, Jesus is the answer, his Christian graffiti. And then he went back uh, uh, a week or so later and someone had written underneath, but what is the question? And sometimes our trouble is we're saying Jesus is the answer to a people who are not asking the question. How, how do people start asking questions? First of all, we pray for them. We pray, we pray, we pray for revelation. We pray that the eyes of their hearts would be opened. We pray that they would get a hunger for God. But then our lives should be raising the questions. We get beside them, we love them, we cherish them. When we started this church um, 28 years ago, 29 years ago, I think now, um, we started um, a, a cafe. We called it Dreg's Cafe for young people. And I went into the schools and uh, I did assemblies for some of the schools. And I said at the, the school assembly, I just told a few little jokes and a little stories. And then I said, we're a little church in Watford. We're starting a cafe on Friday nights. It was the, the first place was the YWCA in Watford. We hired a room. Uh, it's called Dreg's Cafe. It's free. If you come, we're going to have a band that's going to be doing covers of songs. We're going to do karaoke. There's going to be the equivalent of a Nintendo in those days, Sega Mega Drives, if anyone remembers that. And uh, we're going to have, you know, food and drink and everything. Feel free to come. And I said, if you come, even though we're Christians, I promise we will not try to convert you. And then I went back to the team and I said, I've made a promise, guys. If I catch anyone telling people about Jesus, I will personally persecute you. Now, before you switch off thinking I'm a heretic I believe in the gospel 
But what we longed for happened. They started to get to know us. They started to feel comfortable. The atmosphere we created was one of love and acceptance. And they started telling us their problems. And then one day, they came and asked, and they said, there's a rumour that you're Christians. And it was the moment I've been waiting for. Um, yep, yep, we are. And there's a rumour that you meet on Sunday nights as a church. Yes, we do. If we wanted to, could we come? And it was my moment. I said, well, you'd probably be bored. And they said, well, if we're bored, we'll leave. But if we really wanted to, could we come? And we said, we won't stop you. They came. And when they walked in, we set up, it was the Queen's School Hall, uh, Assembly Hall, that, it, that we set it up in exactly the same way as Dreg's Cafe on the Friday night. The same decor, the same tables and chairs, and the same band, Matt, my friend Matt Redman and his band that did covers on a Friday night, did worship on a Sunday night. And when the kids came in who'd never been to church, they looked around and they said, but this is Dreg's, this is our place. And do you know what we did? And they went up to, and they went up to Matt, I've got to say this. And they said, are you going to do Wonderwall tonight? And Matt said, I was thinking of singing a few songs that I'd written. And what we did was we built a bridge from us to them. We walked across the bridge and then we walked back with them, with them. And that's how it works. And they were ready to ask the questions. So when we said Jesus is the answer, they were listening, and we saw a whole number of them. I'll treasure the memories as long as I live. Come to know Jesus. It was the most wonderful, wonderful thing. And Jesus in his life, he was good news as well as telling good news. He didn't just say it, he was it. He was good news to the poor, to the broken, to the marginalized, to the dispossessed. He was, wherever he went, he was good news. The only people who he was bad news to were the people that treated other people badly, were the people who lorded it over, were the religious leaders, actually, who put burdens on people. But do you know, for the lepers, if you were a leper in those days, you were a complete outcast. If you were a leper, um, you, often you had to ring a bell and live in a leper colony, and, and no one would go near you because you were so infectious, and they didn't want to catch the disease of leprosy, which was virtually impossible to get healed from. And so what did Jesus do to the most marginalized people what did he do to the outcasts? What did he do for the people that no one cared about? He touched them. He flipping touched them. And they were healed. We have to, we have to touch people. We have to touch their hearts. We have to touch their lives. We have to, we, we have to engage with the world around us. And that's what we're trying to do Church is not a safe community where we hide from the world around us and every now and then do a raiding party out there into enemy territory. No, we need to break down the walls of the church. A bit like what's happened to Warehouse 7 at the moment. But the spiritual walls of the church, we want to be a church for the community. And as we do that, as we do that, you know, and, and the fear is, well, well what if we you know, 
get what that, you know, the, the, some of the bad attitudes they've got? What if we get some of the, the bad stuff that they're involved in? Hey, the scripture says, he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. We've got to stop being afraid of being infected by the world around us. And we've got to realize our job is to infect the world around us with the love of Jesus. As I begin to come into land, I just want to say, I just want to say, our call is to love our neighbor. That's the message. It hasn't changed. Love your neighbor. And I've had to learn this in a painful way over this last year. I've lived in my road, in my street. It's a little cul-de-sac. Uh, I've lived there uh, for 20 years. And in 20 years, I've said hello to my neighbours either side. We've had occasional little chat. But I've been so busy doing the work of the Lord that I've been too busy to get to know my neighbours. Duh. Now I see it. It's like I'm so embarrassed. I was too busy serving Jesus, as I thought, to get to know my neighbours. And then in, I think it was May, uh, when the first lockdown, I started, I know I've told this story a little bit before, but I'm going to, in this context, I want to say it again. I, um, I started cooking for my friends, and I cooked Greek. I would cook lega lamb, kleftigo, and macaroni do furno, and other things, and I would get my friends, others in the church, to come and, and give it to them, leave it on the front doorstep and all of that. And then one day, I suddenly thought, why don't I cook for my neighbours? And it was, I could bless them. I could bless them. And then the thought came so strongly, don't be ridiculous, they'll be embarrassed, and they'll think you're weird if you turn up with food. And then I realised as I pondered it, now I'll be embarrassed. And so I did it for the first time, and I remember I was scared when I knocked on my neighbour's door and I said, here's a leg of lamb I've just cooked for you. To my amazement, they, they loved it. They were so grateful. Then I cooked Magaroni to Furnu, which is like lasagna, but only much better because it's Greek, not Italian. And, 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 and I gave it to them. And we, we, we started having honest conversations. And then I went to the other side and it meant the world to them. And then I started going up the street and I've been cooking for different neighbours and just giving it to them. From, it's transformed my relationship with them. And I, didn't, I haven't done it as a, as a hook. I'm going to get them through food. The way to your neighbours' hearts is through their stomachs. It was, how can I bless them? And you know, we're, we're, and it's not just down to me by any means, by any means. But we've got a WhatsApp group of most of the street. And we're on with each other, swapping things all the time. There might be 40 messages a day. It's crazy. And do you know, my neighbours, that I've been neighbours on one side for 20 years, they started asking me, would I, would I say a prayer for them? You know, um, something's happening. Could, could, could you pray? We're really grateful. We're really grateful that you're praying. The, the other side, they're, they're, they're always looking out for me. They're always asking me, how are you doing? A few doors down, when it was Christmas, they noticed that I didn't have a Christmas wreath on my front door. So they made me one and brought it round. 
I have neighbours texting me now saying, if, if there's anything you need, let us know. And we've agreed as a street, when all of this is over, we're going to have a massive street party. And I am going to cook so much food that I'll have to sell my house. And I tell you this, I have found a joy in this that I never knew was possible. They all know I'm a pastor because I put it on the WhatsApp group once. And I, I just want to be a good neighbour. And I want to be a good neighbour, whether they come to know Jesus or they don't. I want to show practical love. And I wish I'd started it 20 years ago. This is what we're about. This is part of it. We are here to worship him, have relationship with him in the most wonderful way. We are here in worship. We are here to be a committed community, a family who love and accept one another, who, 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 who are committed to one another, who cheer one another on, who rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, but we're not a family in a castle with the drawbridge up. We're a family for the sake of others. And we don't just put the drawbridge down. We break down the walls and we say, hey, we want to serve you. And I love what many of you have been doing in this pandemic. Uh, when we did some takeaways um, uh, for folk in our church, a number of you, 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 got, you got takeaways. You came and collected them. Uh, and you, you collected for your neighbours. One lady in our church, she, she got takeaways for 15 of her neighbours. How amazing is that? To be good news. To be good news. That's it. And that's how we're going to go forward. And they're the kind of churches we want to plant. We want them with that DNA. Because we got a nation that needs to know the love of Jesus, so we proclaim him with our words, with our friendship, with our service, and in the power of the Spirit. Let us go for it together.